Good morning. We are uh, in the fourth week on a series on prayer. And we've been talking about um, not only how to pray, but a lot of times what we pray, what kind of things we pray to God about. Four weeks ago, Dave was here and he was talking about prayers of courage. The Bible often, all throughout, God is, is telling us to be strong and courageous. And angels come and say, have courage or have no fear. Well, a few weeks ago, Jeff then was talking about prayers of surrender, those kinds of prayers where we say, oh, it's not me, it's you, God. I, I, I've done what I can do. I need to surrender my will to your will. Not my will, but yours be done. And then uh, last week, Alice Sherby or Shirley or Shirley, I, don't, I never can figure out how to say her name. If, the, if you don't get that joke, uh, just go back to last week and see the end of the service there where she couldn't figure out how to pronounce my name. Hey, Alice, Alice was talking about um, uh, prayers of listening, prayers where we stop yammering our mouths so much and, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Today I'm going to be talking about those times in your lives where, where you, you become acutely aware that you need confession, that you need to tell somebody, you need to tell God, you need to apologize for sins that you have. You know you've messed up. You realize that you continue to just do the same patterns over and over. You've hurt somebody deeply. You've hurt yourself. You've said words or you've done behaviors that, are, that have caused some pain. Many times in the past, Alice has taught us this breath prayer. Have mercy on me, oh God. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. And that's where we're going to go today. That place where you just, all you have left really is kind of, have mercy on me, oh God. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. But, we're also going to go to a place of hope. Because that place right there is fertile ground for hope, for new life there's this pattern in the Bible, this recurring pattern where death comes before life, where, where, where the death precedes the resurrection. Okay, so this is also going to be week two of a series on the Lord's Prayer. Week one was two years ago in July of 2018 um, in a series called Greatest Hits. If you go to the website and look for that picture, um, either the Orchard Hill Central site or the OrchardHillChurch.com site. Look for that picture two years ago and find greatest hits and then find mine on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, that time, two years ago, I did ba basically what I think of as phrase one and phrase three. Today we're going to be looking at phrase two and phrase four, which leaves phrase five for some time. I don't know if I'll ever get to it. Maybe two years, maybe ten years from now we'll do the last phrase. So let's get into it. Let's start. This second phrase of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It starts right off with this word kingdom that we're not always that familiar with. And so this word is all throughout the New Testament, usually in a phrase like the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so oftentimes when we get to this word, we pause and we say, all right, what are they talking about? What is kingdom? How is that understood in the first century? And so it's pretty easy or tempting to slip into this idea, this belief that the word kingdom, when we see it in the New Testament, means heaven, that it's equivalent to heaven. But that's really not how theologians see it. It's really more equivalent to being inside of God's will, 
There's a theologian named Dallas Willard who says it this way, that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is the range of God's effective will. Now that's also still kind of a complicated way to say it, the range of God's effective will. What does it mean? It means the place where God's will is done, the place where things are as God wants them to be, the place where things happen the way God sees them happening. And and one thing we know about this kingdom, one thing we know about God's kingdom is it's monotheistic. It has one God. There's one way of doing it. There's one access to truth. There is one truth. This was a really important point that God was making throughout all of the Old Testament. I don't, I don't know if you know, there's some Levitical laws where he's saying, don't thread these two different kinds of threads together, these two different kinds of materials together into one fabric. And we look at that and like, what? <laughs> but it's because he's saying, there is only one. Don't start trying to thread two things together. Or one of the most important verses in the Old Testament called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There's this oneness to God that we miss, that we long for, that I long for. Holy, the word holy means to be set aside for one purpose. To be pure, to be singular, to be whole. And that's who God is. And actually, that's what ends the previous line, right? If we were going to review the previous line. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. God is holy. God is one. And so then as we come into this line, your kingdom, that kind of way of being, that way of thinking, your kingdom come. I was just listening to Doug, and he was talking about You know, all these splits and all these divisions and all this tension and all this two-sidedness. And I was thinking, yeah, we just long for a kingdom that's one, where there's unity, where there's oneness of purpose. Where people understand and believe a, a, a similar thing that comes from God. Your kingdom come, we pray. Your will be done. Your will be done is the next line. And and this is just a common literary technique called parallelism where the author will say one thing and then they'll say it again. The exact same thing, just in a few different words. Your kingdom come means your will be done. Right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now, in parallelism, it's interesting because sometimes we get two phrases that are almost identical and then a third phrase that sort of turns it on its head in some way. If you think about uh, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Oh, the first two are very easily the same. That third one, though, it's like, whoa, what's he saying? It's similar in this. In this, he's, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. That's such a great turn. One thing it tells us is that God's will is being done in heaven. There is a place where God's will is being done. This thing that we long for. But the other thing it tells us, and this is what I think is most fascinating, is that Jesus had some expectation. Remember, this is Jesus' prayer. He's teaching us this prayer. Jesus had some expectation that it was possible... And that it was expected that God's will, God's kingdom could be done here on earth. It's not something we're supposed to just wait for. God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
that just fills me with something, some longing. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Is God's will being done on earth now? Well, sure, sometimes. But other wills are also competing for that space. Some of the time I do God's will. I live in God's kingdom. But much of the time I live in my own kingdom. I do my own will, right? I have dual citizenship. I'm a man divided. I'm not one and pure and holy. And you have a kingdom. And your neighbor has a kingdom. And then we're subject to all these other kingdoms. We're, we're subject to kingdoms of our city and our country and our state. And some worldwide organizations. And then there's a letter in the Bible where Paul says and that, that people are subject to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. When he's talking about Satan. There's a kingdom of the air. There's a kingdom of evil that's also vying for space. This kingdom that's supposed to be one has been shattered into billions of kingdoms. And this shattering is something that's just on display. Seems like more than ever. I don't know if it's true that it's more than ever. But it feels like it, doesn't it? It feels like more than ever. The, the display of the shattering of God's kingdom is all around us. Is visible to our eyes. So, we haven't achieved God's vision. Jesus' vision in this prayer. But, it still is the vision. This is the vision statement. This is what Jesus hopes for. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a great vision. And I encourage you to think of that as a vision statement that we can somehow figure out how to achieve. We haven't achieved it. What's standing in the way? What's getting in the way of our achieving this vision? Us. Us. Our rebellion. Our individual rebellion against the king. Our ego. And by that I don't mean our, our pride. I mean that part of us that thinks that it is the king. That thinks that it is the independent. That thinks that it is uh, the center of the universe. We continue to make our own kingdoms, and this stands in the way of the one kingdom. Which leads then beautifully to the next two, the phrase that's two phrases down. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses. Now, if you went to a different church, you might have learned it in a different way. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. It's always that uncomfortable point when you get to this in the Lord's Prayer and you're, at a, you're visiting another church, right? What are they going to say? I don't know. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, our debts. It's all the same. So a few years ago, I'll tell you this story. A few years ago, we moved to the river. Shortly after moving, uh, we did the oblig obligatory thing and bought a boat. You have to if you live out there, right? So we bought this old runabout boat from a neighbor. And he took me on a test drive of the boat before I bought it. And I learned like very little, almost nothing about the boat because I have no idea what I was looking for. I mean, the boat floated. We did not sink. And the motor pushed us forward. Like I feel like, check, check, it's a boat, right? It did what it was supposed to do. But I am so glad that I went on that test drive because I learned something really profound that day. 
The neighbor who was selling me this boat was driving first. He wanted to drive first, which was fine with me. I, I, I kind of didn't even want to drive. I was nervous. But he drove first, and I learned this profound lesson. And the lesson was this. Be aware of your wake. Just be aware of your wake. In the water, you cannot move without causing a wake, right? You can't even, like, just ripple a little bit. That, and that wake, that disturbance that's in the water, exists for quite a while after you're gone. It, it, it stays all around behind you after you're out of sight. And that wake, that disturbance, affects everything around you. It affects kayakers, it affects fishermen, it affects docks, it affects other boats, it even sometimes affects uh, living things like birds that are on the shore. It affects anything that's going to be in its path. Boats go by my dock, flying down the river. And then my dock, like for a long time, will just be violently rocking up and down. They're long gone. I don't see them anymore, but I still see their effect. I still see their wake. My kids used to love this. <laughs> they just love standing on the dock, looking for the biggest, fastest moving boats and getting all excited that the dock was going to be going crazy. But as a dock owner... I, and as a certified grumpy old man, I see it in a different way. When I look down there, what I see is strain on the hinges and on the pins and on the standoff poles and on the bolts that hold it all together. By the end of every season, every season, the bolts are ruined. They're stripped. They're bent because of wake, because of this little effect that's just left behind as a boat goes by. Okay, so often... I meditate in the morning, and when I meditate, often I meditate on the Lord's Prayer. And one morning I was meditating through the Lord's Prayer, and I get to this phrase, forgive us our trespasses. And for some reason, right, I just pictured a boat, a, a wake traveling out behind me, trespassing, if you will, impeding on other people, going on to other people. This wake that moves behind me. And I had this profound thought, be aware of your wake. You cannot move without causing a wake. Everything you do affects someone in some way. Now I'm going to take a second little pause here. Sometimes your wake is good. In this metaphor, you know, metaphors aren't perfect. Sometimes my wife leaves beautiful wake, right? In her, in her, in her path after she's gone, people are like, whoa, she's so great. Sometimes you do that. But I'm talking about the kinds of wake that you, that you make that you're affecting someone in a negative way. Everything you do. Everything you consume has a giant um, supply chain that likely spans the whole globe. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying think about it. Be aware of your wake. Everything you say changes a person who hears it in some way or another. Everything you choose to do with your time sends a ripple out into the world. Now, some of you are saying, no, 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 no. We're stuck. We're quarantined. All I have done with my time for eight weeks is watch Netflix. <laughs> that couldn't affect anyone. Okay, think about it. Netflix represents thousands of people who are building content and distributing content. That just doesn't happen out of ether. 
Well, kind of in this case, it is, no, it's not. And so Netflix represents all these people. Netflix also represents huge amounts of bandwidth. The bandwidth that it takes to get you those videos into your house is big. I don't know what it is today, but at one point, Netflix was half of the bandwidth of the United States. And all that bandwidth takes fiber optic cables that are buried in the ground. It takes power generation. It takes maintenance work. It takes people going out and fixing things over and over. Also, high bandwidth just adds a little another thing to the pile of disparities between people, between rich and poor, urban and rural, majority and minority. High bandwidth is just another thing that separates us from each other. <laughs> so even Netflix is causing ripples. And watching Netflix, choosing to do something means you're choosing not to do something else. So be wake aware. Like many boat drivers who pass my house, <laughs> going way too fast. I often live my life and drive through it without being wake aware. Every year, we get to this ceremony called Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is a day where we're trying to become acutely wake aware, where we're trying to understand our sins, where we're trying to think, think about them. This last Ash Wednesday, I brought the book home with me after it was over. And for the 40 days of Lent, I read this book uh, almost, almost every day. I tried every day. Inside this book, which is a, a, a liturgy that comes, that has been actually in some form around for hundreds of years, but it, it, they keep updating. This particular version is from, I looked it up, I didn't know this ahead of time, from 1979. So, so for the last, what, 40-something years, billions of times this has been said. So we join when we say, I'm saying that because when we, when we say these things, we also join in with a whole bunch of other people in unity, in thinking about ourselves and our sin. This confession of sin, one thing I think I like about it is it's so complete. It's compelling. It really helps you think through, oh, yeah, I guess I do that too. Oh, right, I do that too. Every time you get to the next phrase, you're like, right. Sin is bigger than I thought. It's more complete. It's more full. It's more ubiquitous than I thought. I laughed real hard. I think, I think it was Jeff Mickey, a series, a few series ago, he said that in the United States, people estimate that they might be sinned about once a month. <laughs> oh, if only, right? This, this confession helps you understand sin is deeper and bigger than that. So I'm going to read this confession. You kind of lucked out because in my original plan, we were going to say this responsibly. You were going to have to participate. You were going to have to say things out loud. Uh, you can still do that in your living room if you want. I'm going to read this confession to you. The, the little, at the end of each slide, there's a little italicized version. That's the response that you have if you want to. Here we go. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another and to the whole community of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault in thought and word Indeed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. Have mercy on us, Lord. 
We have been deaf to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved the Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us, Lord. We confess to you, Lord, all of our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives. We confess to you, Lord, our self-indulgent appetites and ways and our exploitation of other people. We confess to you, Lord, our anger at our own frustration and our, our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves. We confess to you, Lord, our intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts and our dishonesty in daily life and work. We confess to you, Lord. Our negligence in prayer and worship and our failure to commend the faith that is in us, we confess to you, Lord. Accept our repentance, Lord, for the wrongs we have done, for our blindness to human need and suffering and our indifference to the injustice and cruelty. Accept our repentance, Lord. For all false judgments, uncharitable thoughts towards our neighbors, and for our prejudice and contempt toward those who differ from us. Accept our repentance, Lord. For our waste and pollution of your creation, our lack of concern for those who come after us, accept our repentance, Lord. Restore us, good Lord, and let your anger depart from us. Favorably hear us, for your mercy is great, accomplishing us the work of your salvation, that we may show forth your glory in the world, by the cross and the passion of your Son, bring us with all your saints to the joy of his resurrection. So be aware of your wake. So much of our wake is unintentional. So much of it affects people that we, and we didn't really realize the full impact of how we were trespassing on them. Which leads naturally, I guess, to our next thought. As we forgive others. As we forgive others. See, other people are causing wakes too as they go through their life. And most of the time, those, waves, those wakes are unintentional just as they are for you. Or at least it's very likely that they don't realize the size of the impact. They're gone and thinking about something else while you're still thinking and stewing about that. Lots of people down the ages have said a similar uh, thing to, what I, to this next slide. But I like this version from Mary Wollstonecraft, and I have no idea how to say her name. And she said this, No man chooses evil because it is evil. He only, makes mis he only mistakes it for happiness, the good that he seeks. Right? People are trying to do what they think is right. They might be completely wrong about what's right, but they're still trying to do what they think is right. There's some comfort in that, some. But there's also a challenge that you should understand and realize that for the most part, people are doing what they think is right, misguided as it might be. As we want, as we long for mercy for our wake, we should be willing to give mercy for others' wake. Okay, now, I'm going to go back up two phrases because I think once you've been through this, like, realization of how deep and wide and, and pervasive sin is. Then we go back to that vision 
back to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a monumental ask this is. What a bold prayer. What hope. Make us right, we're praying. Fix this fundamental problem. Heal this disease. Bring life to this death. And do it now. Don't make us wait until later, till some heaven later in the future. Do it now on earth as it is in heaven. These days, today, this week, that prayer seems even more intense. Heal us. Heal these wakes that we're putting on each other. Heal our trespasses. Okay, so now what? What can you do tomorrow? I have four things that you can do tomorrow. Number one, read Psalm 51. I was going to read it and I had to cut it for time, so I just want you to read it. Read Psalm 51 is a psalm where David is confessing sins, some, some deep and, and big sins. And then later in the psalm, he comes to this place where he says, give me a new spirit. Renew a right spirit within me. Give me a new heart. He realizes the the depth of the effect that it's going to take to make him right. Google Ash Wednesday. Read some confessions. Read that confession. You, You can find it online. They're all over the place. Be aware of your wake. Be and give give the other people some chance to have their own wake. I mean, they're gonna have it anyway. So you might as well get used to accepting or having mercy on them for it. And then pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to pray now. Thanks. Heavenly Father, this prayer of Jesus is so amazing, so profound. Help us to spend some time in it. And for this week, help us to understand What a big vision Jesus had in this line of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to understand that what's in the way of that is ourselves. Our own trespasses, our own wanting ourselves to have our own kingdoms, our own putting ourselves at the center of the universe, our own trespassing across other people. Forgive us for those trespasses and help us to be more aware of our wake and help us to see other people in their wake and have mercy on them in the way that we would want to have mercy given to us. Now I I pray, Lord, that you be with us and for us in this coming week. Amen. Amen.